The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. And sponsored by March Communications, connecting innovation and people. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Echo Chamber. This is Arun Sudhaman from the Homes Report here in Hong Kong. And in the building today, very lucky to have with us from Omnicom PR Group, Mr. David Gallagher. David, welcome. Hey, thanks, Arun. Great to be here in your lovely office and here in lovely Hong Kong. And what a magnificent day for weather. So thank it's, you for that. Yes, it is It is a gorgeous day. Uh, I'm sure it's just as gorgeous in London. Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> possibly. So what brings you to this neck of the woods? You're doing a, an Asian tour. Uh, yeah, I was in Singapore last week seeing the agencies. Uh, I came uh, today and tomorrow. I'm in, in Hong Kong and then I'm going on to Shanghai to see the agencies. So. Oh, okay. Part of my commitment to understanding the Omnicom offer in markets outside of the usual European and American. Sure. Markets. And before I forget, happy birthday. Thank you. Thank I you. saw a post on social media that you had your birthday here in Hong Kong. Yeah, over celebrated the my 30th birthday. <laughs> That's 30 in PR years. Right? 30 in PR years. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Um, so let's start with uh, you mentioned you're visiting agencies here in Asia for Omnicom. Obviously, um, we we observe the M&A movements in terms of the industry. Uh, we just came out with an analysis uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was now, where we, we, uh, we track the, the, the deal making in 2017 compared, compared to 2016 and saw there was quite a big decline, not just in terms of the value of deals made, uh, but the volume of deals. So I think we'd gone from 61 deals down to around 40 acquisitions. And most of them were for small agencies. In fact, I think Paul Holmes called it a micro transactions right, right. Or, or micro deals. Um, so I'm curious to hear your views on this. Omnicom uh, didn't, I think, make a PR acquisition last year, um, unless you count the healthcare or the, the remainder of Portland. Uh, I think they finished a few deals. We finished right. a few deals. I'm not okay. worried about any of any deal that began and ended in, yeah. uh, in the year. Um, and in fact, WDP didn't make any of our acquisitions either last year. So curious to hear your insight on this, both in terms of why you think deal-making might have slowed, and secondly, in particular, why you think it might have slowed at the, at the big holding groups. Yeah. Well, I, I wasn't actually aware that the decline was um, from 16 to 17 was as marked until you, you reminded me of it. So um, I'm a little bit surprised by it. I, in my mind, I felt like there was more activity than I guess there, there was. Uh, I, I know I've seen uh, from different brokers and, uh, and sellers, it, it felt like uh, actually more opportunities come by uh, last year than, than the year before. Uh, I think from, from my perspective, it's probably a matter of the holding companies having much tighter parameters that they're interested in, in considering, and probably the sellers having um, being a lot more discerning about who they're willing to, to sell to from, oh, from really? the past. So, okay. um, so that's, that's the only thing I can, I can guess for why there's been a, a fewer number of deals and, and maybe smaller um, transactions going through. I mean, I, I will say we're very interested in, in looking at um, investment opportunities and partnerships. I'm, uh, it's no secret that I travel around looking for potential partners, and that can be uh, a more formal partnership with existing partners or an investment or even an acquisition. So uh, I hope that your 2018 to 17 comparison will kind of put us back in the right right direction. 
I hope so as well. And I suspect <coughs> some of it is down to the overall slowdown in the market that we saw last year. But it was interesting um, your co comment on parameters uh, becoming stricter, both in terms of buyers and sellers. From from the buying side, how do you see parameters becoming stricter? Is it just a case of of um, looking at a more clearly defined uh, range of, of profitability from agencies that you're looking to buy? Well, I mean, there's always going to be profit and, and gross and net revenue uh, numbers that we're looking at. I think probably for me, it's more what's the, what's the fit. I mean, what do these agencies bring that we don't have already? And would we be better off trying to, to build it um, on our own rather than, than buy it? Is it, you know, is it a service we don't have? Is it in a market we're not operating in? So after a few decades of growth, largely through acquisition, there aren't that many holes in the, in the portfolio. So it means I've got to have a pretty airtight case for, uh, for making a, you know, a request from, uh, from the parent company. Um, and I expect that the, the companies that are selling have a pretty good idea now of uh, what the holding companies are offering. And, and uh, most of them are doing pretty well on their own or probably waiting for something that's, that's really going to be transformative for, for them as well. So yeah. if, if they're being more selective and we're being more selective, it probably means there's going to be fewer, fewer deals. Um, does, does that mean we're going to see, or we are seeing, a, a decline in perhaps acquisition of conventional PR agencies and, and maybe more interest in what you might call adjacent um, capabilities, whether that's digital or, or specific Yeah, expertise. possibly. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to make an argument to, to buy an agency that's a lot like an agency we already have. I mean, mm -hmm. that's not necessarily compelling for clients. It, it doesn't give the... Uh, the investors, the shareholders, something that they didn't have before. But agencies that have deep specialisms, um, you know, real clear differentiated officers, uh, office, uh, offers adjacent mm. to, the, uh, to the core proposition, I think would be attractive. Mm. Okay. Um, and how about in terms of the buyers? You said they're becoming more discerning. How do you see that? Does that mean they're not just, just less likely to take the, uh, the, the holding group offer and, and now they're looking at you know, whether it's private equity or... The sellers, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, the sellers. I, Sorry, I, the sellers. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's, yeah, that's probably another, uh, another factor. I think mm -hmm. they've got more options um, than they might have had in, in the past. So uh, I don't know what your numbers are, but I would think that there's private equity, there's management consultancy, there mm -hmm. are ad agencies, um, and then you've got the, uh, the holding companies representing PR mm -hmm. offers. So... Uh, they rightly see that they've got more options than maybe they've had in the past too. So mm -hmm. they're going to hold out for something that's, that's really attractive. But do you get a sense that there are fewer agencies on the market looking to sell than there were before? Or is it, is it much the same as, as ever? I feel like it's the same. I mean, mm. uh, I get as many approaches from, from brokers or others as I, as I have in, in, in the past. Um, there are very few that I would you know, pass on to the to the to the bosses is something that I think we should we should look at. But I haven't felt like the ratio has changed. I haven't felt like there's been a, a slowdown. So mm -hmm. you've got a view on the overall market. I only see what comes to me, but I, I didn't really notice that kind of a decline. Yeah, but I think you get a better view in terms of um, who's out there actively looking to sell. I mean in this part of the world, um, I'm not gonna put you on the spot by asking you about specific agencies, but um, do you see uh, enough good independents that are going to attract your interest? Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, in, in greater China, elsewhere in Asia, I think there are some, some, some good independents that are looking for uh, you know, their, their next step. But, but they too have got options that maybe they, they didn't think they've had before. Mm. Um, I have seen some Chinese agencies that maybe were looking at IPO or some other way of, yeah. uh, of getting cash 
now are looking more for, for acquisition. That's been, I guess, oh. if I've seen any difference in the types of conversations we're have, having, it's more about, um, you know, where do you see your future? And I think two years ago, they all saw themselves going IPO. They now, did after Blue Focus, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And now they don't after now Blue they don't Focus. Necessarily. Well, I don't know <laughs> what the reasons are, but now I think that, um, you know, they're open to other types of, uh, of partnership. Could, could well be the same reason, because yeah, I think yeah. Blue Focus had some... some um, some hurdles to clear. Yeah, but it was you know it's a big exchange. enough thing to it's a big enough force to uh, to to move markets to change markets. So, no doubt, right. no doubt. Um, your your thoughts on the uh, on the overall market? I'm I'm cu- curious to hear because um, obviously last year was not. Uh, I don't think anyone would claim it was a particularly strong year for the holding groups in in general. Did you see a different picture from from public relations agencies? Uh, no, I mean it was uh, it was a relatively flat year. Mm-hmm. Um, now that that comes on you know years and years of, of growth, and so staying flat on years and years of growth isn't necessarily a, a setback. But um, I don't know that we're going to get back to double digit growth years. I, I I don't know where that would come from. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that we'll continue to chip away at, at marketing budgets. Um, I think that we'll continue. This might be a good year for. Uh, on the corporate side, I think there might be a little mm. bit of growth there as as, uh, as companies and institutions kind of struggle with, um, you know, a changing news environment. But I I would say these are going to be low single digit growth numbers for that for the big agencies. I, I have a hard time seeing where ten percent is going to come from. I also think we've gone into the markets over the last decade where there wasn't much of a PR market. Now there is, so it's not like we can suddenly discover, you know, a, a new world of. Uh, PR opportunity. Um, so I think it's going to be a scrappy year. I'm mm-hmm. hoping for, uh, I don't know what our official outlook is, but I, I would be happy in most cases with 3 to 5% growth. And I, I'm guessing that's where most of the holding companies you know, are going to... broken various laws with, yeah. with this forward-looking statement. Yeah, possibly, statement. <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's just say it'd be good for good student that one, Well, actually, I, that's, I mean, honestly, I feel like 3 to 5% is a little disappointing um, given that you would expect public relations to be um, outperforming other disciplines at this juncture. Yeah, possibly, possibly. I mean, I guess as always, it's going to be a matter of you know what's the uh, the, the wider economic outlook. I, I don't know that you're going to see GDPs in, in most markets growing much faster uh, than that. So mm. it becomes a little bit of a trade-off, and you know where can we steal share from? Um, you know, from other sectors. I, I just I just don't right. know where it's going to go into double-digit growth. But how about in the U.S.? Because as we're regularly reminded, this is the greatest economic performance ever, uh, and, and all, all down to President <laughs> Trump. Um, but leaving that aside, the economic indicators in the U.S. have all been pretty sound, yeah, quite yeah, good. Yeah. So, so why the, the apparent caution in spending on PR? Or, or I don't expect you to have an answer, but what, what are your thoughts? Um... It's a good question, and I, I don't know really why um, the American client base, I guess, is, is feeling a little cautious. I haven't, I haven't analyzed where they're shifting their, their money to or if they're just spending less on, uh, on, on marketing. Um, I, I kind of think that where we're headed is to a greater split, if that's the right word, mm-hmm. uh, between corporate, in, corporate spending and, and marketing mm-hmm. spending. And we tend to, re- well, we do report it all rolled up together. Mm-hmm. But I would bet most Agencies are going to have uh, greater growth on the corporate side than they're going to have on the on the consumer. It's a little ironic. It is, yeah, given after that many of the big agencies have spent the past few years essentially turning themselves into, or trying to morph into 
to, to firms that can attract the CMO as much as the CCO. Yeah, it is. But I would also say that in most cases, the, the marketing side of the revenue is still going to be bigger than their corporate revenue. I just yeah. think that if they're looking at year-to-year -year growth, they're going to have more growth in corporate than they're going to have in marketing. Well, that's good for the corporate people who sometimes have felt like the, the unwelcome cousins. Yeah, definitely. definitely. So hopefully years. they'll have something to, uh, to, to celebrate. Mm. Um, you know, but the, I think there's always room for, for agencies that can um, differentiate themselves uh, against the other PR businesses, but for the ad agencies. So mm -hmm. there will be some success stories, and um, I think we'll be surprised where they come from and, and what sectors they're serving and how they define their, mm -hmm. their work. So I think there will be some, some success stories. And I say I'd be very happy to see uh, all of our agencies growing at a, at a sustainable uh, mm -hmm. 3 to 5%. Um, Mm. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> That's me personally. That's Don't me disappoint personally. <laughs> the, uh, the top brass. Um, you mentioned uh, the, the, the overall marketing spend, and, and to me it does seem clear that companies in the U.S. for, you know, Martin Sorrell, for example, has, has put forward a couple of reasons, activist investors, uh, the, the popularity of zero-based budgeting. Are these factors that you're seeing as being, um, as being uh, material um, here? I mean, obviously... One of your biggest clients, P&G, of course, has its own uh, activist uh, investor issues at the moment, right? Yeah, and I wouldn't speak to that. Mm. I haven't seen activist investors being a factor overall for uh, for the sector. So mm -hmm. uh, maybe he's got a you know different perspective or a different different client. Um, I do think zero based budgeting is a is a factor. I think um, if there's any one sector that is really outpacing, it's going to be um, digital and e-commerce, especially in in this part of the world. Mm. And I think the PR sector overall still has a lot of uh, catching up to do when it comes to, to having a, a really truly digital uh, proposition. And I yeah. think maybe some of our, our uh, frustrations with growth have come from the fact that mm -hmm. we haven't fully caught up to our, our siblings and other disciplines in terms of how digital mm. the offer is. Mm. So um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I hope it's a better year um, overall for, for for the whole industry, the whole sector, um, than, than it was before, and I, I think that there will be some some real success stories. But um, I'm, I'm not looking for a major uh, burst of growth across the board. Mm. You mentioned um, the influence and management consultancies. Um, we hear so much about consulting firms and, and whether they're going to to eat the, the yeah. lunches. Of, um, of, of ad agencies or, or media agencies or even public relations firms. Is that something you're seeing? Is it something that worries you? Um, you know, it's, I've been talking about it. I've been worried about it for a decade, and, and usually I'm, well, almost every year, I'm reminded it hasn't really um, you know, come to fruition, that my fears mm. are a little bit unfounded. So maybe I've just been, been wrong about it. Um, uh, I do think, though, that in, in direct and indirect ways, we, we're already consulting with, with management consultancies. They're not brought into pitches um, that frequently. Uh, in fact, I can't think of too many times we've gone head to head with the, with the management consultancy. So mm -hmm. um, they're not necessarily a direct competitive threat, but I do think they're drawing away talent and I think that they're drawing away potential acquisitions mm -hmm. um, in, in ways that we may be aware of. Mm -hmm. So they're definitely a, a competitive force uh, in the market, even if we're not seeing them in the uh, you know in the reception after a after a pitch. Yeah, I guess for them though, they don't want to be in the pitch, do they? No. They want to be you know the people running the running pitch, the pitch. Yeah. and making the decisions yeah. and then um, uh, taking it from there. Right. right, and that's that's where my anxiety has been. From. Mm -hmm. Not that we would be outperformed pitch on pitch, but that they would be um, 
running the pitch process, then running mm -hmm. the procurement process, then running the agency evaluation process, uh, which inevitably pushes us towards the more commoditized you know, side of the spectrum of mm. already feeling that. I mean, we've been, we have been feeling that for the past decade. Most of the impact of, of procurement, I think, has been management consultant driven. And um, mm. something we were right about worrying about them before. Mm -hmm. So you talked about, um, you know, this resurgence in corporate. You, and you also just then mentioned um, the risk of becoming commoditized. And then you also said something over the last few months, which I caught somewhere on one of your many social media channels, um, which I thought was a really interesting observation, which was about the a resurgence, I guess, in the importance of media relations mm -hmm. to the public relations industry. And I thought that was an interesting observation because media relations and the characterization of the industry as being focused on media relations is something that a lot of public relations people and firms, and yeah. I imagine people like yourself, have been trying to escape from for a long time, right? This idea that all PR people do is, is sell commoditized press releases. Right. But why then do you see media relations becoming, um, becoming even more important? Now? Well, I wouldn't describe media relations as selling commoditized press releases. Okay, I mean, I, I do think that there is a, a fundamental part of our business is, is helping our clients understand how they're going to be talked about by, by third parties and then mm -hmm. uh, helping them both behave and communicate their intentions in ways that, that third parties, journalists, media, uh, others can, um, you know, can, can write about and, and share. And, and I think that the industry moved away from that um, too quickly and, and maybe without enough consideration. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I've always felt like it was um, kind of an under appreciated part of our, of our proposition. And I think you've seen in the last year, at least politically, um, the importance of uh, solid uh, uh, and journalism that's based on facts and mm -hmm. uh, a relationship with people like us that can help mm -hmm. uh, provide facts. So mm -hmm. um, so I, I was never of the, on, on, the, on the bandwagon of mm -hmm. moving away from media relations. I think there are parts of the media relations offer that is commoditizable or has been commoditized. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that we, we all have to, to, to address. You know, I, I was thinking for a, a talk I'm giving in, in, in Austria in a month or so, hmm. that the future of the PR business has always been built on the kind of David Meister model of, of uh, expertise at the top. So a few senior people who really know an industry and know primarily the influencers and the journalists who cover that industry. Then a few managers who are really good at managing projects and maybe have a little bit of that expertise that they can uh, parlay into, into how a team uh, operates. And then a team of people who are really um, uh, efficiency-based. Those are kind of the three tiers of a, of a pyramid. Um, what's been turned upside down now is that the, the expertise, I think, is lacking in a lot of agencies. They've, they've lost track of the industries that they're representing or certainly the, the, the journalists and the influencers that, that are driving those industries, so they find their value is, is diminished. Uh, managers are struggling to manage a much more distributed workforce. Mm -hmm. So they've got freelancers and specialists and other agencies and digital services, automated services that should be part of their, their mix. Um, and the efficiency of, of, of uh, the teams under them are, are kind of undermined by the fact that sitting in a building with a, a boss over you isn't necessarily the best way to, to serve a, a client. Mm. So I think the agencies that are going to be successful are those that realize where the real expertise is right now, 
um, you know, has it shifted or is it still fundamentally in knowing who's covering, who's writing, who's influencing your, your sector, your industry. Uh, managers are going to have to be much better at working, uh, at, at overseeing a diverse set of suppliers, employees, and, and, and partners. And efficiency is going to be a combination of your talent and, and technology, that, that mindset. I think they're still organized the way they were organized 10 years ago or, yeah. or 20 years ago. Um, and, and in some ways, they even drifted away from the things that were, were good about that, that mm. model. So you don't have to, to agree with me on, on media relations and whether that should be a core part of a PR agency's competence. But if it's not going to be that, you're going to have to be really good mm. in, in other areas. And I just don't know that we've all made that leap yet. Well, I think the way you've described media relations, it would be hard to disagree with, with that not being a core part right. of, of, right. of a firm's competence. Um, I guess it's it's more about, and we've you know there are a lot of agencies and a lot of firms out there that do focus on the more commoditized end yep. of that media relations puzzle. Um, interestingly, you mentioned there's a there's a, a decline almost in expertise, which is worrying. Um, but I would agree with you. I do feel like firms are carrying on um, in much the same way that they did say ten or twenty years ago. Is it just the case that this kind of expertise has never been adequately managed in firms in the sense that it's not been given the right career path? Because people with that expertise have been expected to become business managers, yeah. run a PL, run an office. So the PR yeah. person to uh, a mediocre company accepted, of course. <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe they go on to be a great manager, but right. they, uh, in, in either case, um, that expertise has stopped being available to, uh, to clients. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the way it was before. And then by the time you try to get back into the game, the, the, the game's moved on a little bit. So mm-hmm. I do think to, I think what you're, what you're suggesting is that agencies that can manage to keep people engaged and feeling like their career is progressing by actually serving clients and not moving um, out of a client service role and into a management role are going to be more successful. Mm-hmm. And I think that clients will pay for expertise. I, I have found that. Whether they're procurement-driven or... Uh, regardless of their sector, they will pay for expertise, but you've got to have actual expertise uh, on on offer, and mm. it's, it's you know you can't fake it. So, um, so I think uh, agencies that invest in keeping smart people at all levels, but especially those at the at the higher billing rates, mm-hmm. truly expert in that sector, in that market, uh, with the, uh, the the influencers in a you know particular. Uh, arena, uh, you know, who know when the conferences are, know when the editorial calendars come together, know who the social influencers are. That's that's still going to be be valuable, mm-hmm. and I, I think that that's what we're asking all of our agencies to, to remember that there are lots of ways ahead in your career, and uh, serving clients is, is a pretty good one. Mm-hmm. Um, is it happening often enough? Do you think? Do you think that um, certainly from the agencies that you see, are are they doing a good enough job to ensure that that kind of expertise isn't I guess, kind of managed away from what they're good at? Um, you know, over, it's my, I've just been a year, just over a year in the, in, in the OPRG role, so mm. I've been speaking kind of from a general point of view. I'll speak more specifically to the agencies. Mm. Oh, you can speak generally if you'd prefer. Well, I've gotten to know all of our agencies pretty, mm. pretty well, and I, every single one of them, a key part of their plan this year was to move more to client centricity. So... Mm. If they're making investment, it's for people who are doing client service. Mm-hmm. If they are promoting people, it's people who are focused on clients. If they want to make uh, a hire, it's someone who has a, sp- a specific area of expertise to, to serve clients. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and maybe they're always doing that, and I just didn't just didn't know them because I wasn't mm -hmm. part of them. But um, but I think that's a, that's going to be a key part of their success going forward. Mm -hmm. And you know, the agencies that I hear people talk about, whether they're in our group or not, it's not the agencies that will say, "Wow, they have a really great general manager in, <laughs> in uh, you know Argentina," or um, or even their CEO is really great. It's yeah. that they do really great work on X client, or they've got a really good offer in in, in Y area. Yeah. That's how you end up getting. Uh, you know, keeping the clients you have and, and winning new opportunities. So yeah. it's, it's not as complex as they are, and that's if you are known for your expertise in client service, it's a much better proposition than being known for how great your, your executive management team is. Sure. Okay. So let's change direction a little bit here. I wanted to talk to you about Davos taking place yep. next week, the World Economic Forum. I know you, you have been there um, several times yep. in the past. In fact, you helped put together Ketchum's collaboration with with Wes? Yeah, you know, that was in 2004. I had to go back for some other reason, go back and look at that. So our first wow. uh, our first interaction with the World Economic Forum, the people who put on Davos, was back in, in 2004. So yeah. over that 13-year period, I've gone a few times, both as an agency person supporting the forum, an yeah. agency person supporting clients, and then as a, as a delegate, you know, as a participant in the forum. So I've kind of seen it from, from yeah. different angles. So this would be my, I think it's the fourth time, I'm not sure. Um, but I noticed last year Davos felt uh, certainly less relevant than it has done in, in, in previous years. Yeah. And it, it's kind of, you know, it's always fashionable yeah. to poke fun at Davos and say this is just a bunch of rich people and business leaders pretending that they care about the world. And you, honestly, you couldn't find um, a group of, of more tone-deaf people in the world. And I would agree with some of that. But last year in particular, you really felt that the whole Davos consensus had been upended, right? You had things that the Davos elite were firmly opposed to had all come true, right? In fact, I saw one management professor who said, basically, if you really want to understand the world, you look at what the Davos consensus, the Davos elite consensus is, and then you do the exact opposite. And he said this in Davos. Right, and right. everyone was like, oh, that's really smart. Right. <laughs> so, and so that was last year. Donald Trump, of course, didn't turn right. up. He sent, of all people, the mooch, yeah. Anthony Scaramucci, <laughs> yeah, that's right. who lasted a couple of days before he went back because apparently he was worried about what job he was going to get. And this is all detailed in, in Michael Wolff's yeah. um, excellent book. Donald Trump is coming this year. The Indian president is coming. I think the Chinese premier is coming. The hope is that uh, perhaps Davos um, will, will play a more material role in helping to somehow bring a sense of cohesion to this somewhat fractured landscape we find ourselves in. Um, do you feel that's a realistic goal or should we lower our expectations of oh, Davos? I, I don't know that I would lower my expectations. I mean, I wasn't there last year, so I, I don't know how to compare what was happening on the ground to the way things were reported about mm. it. And I, I would agree with you that there is, um, you know, it seems like everywhere, this schism between elite expert, uh, in quotes, uh, perspective versus a more populist point of view. And, mm -hmm. and those seem to be in, in conflict, or at least are reported to be in in, in conflict, and, and I can't deny that there, that seems to be uh, you know the, the way um, politics and business and society is, is discussed right now. I guess my experience from from the forum is is beyond Davos and just looking at the organization, the types of ideas they, they put forward, and I still have yet to find any event 
or, uh, or venue or forum um, that is capable of pulling together such a, a diverse set of, of far-ranging uh, perspectives. I mean, for me, I hadn't heard or didn't appreciate the impact of uh, globalization until I was at the World Economic Forum and saw how globalization uh, is realized for better or, or, or for worse. And it, it, it's kind of that organization that opened my eyes to, to globalization. And that was 2005, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I hadn't really thought about um, hyperconnectivity or artificial intelligence with the World Economic Forum and what sort of impact that would have on, on business or society or, or politics. So I still think it's a source of truly transformative ideas um, uh, percolate there. They're kind of reported at the event and then you, you see over the course of the year whether that has any influence on the agenda or people are still talking about it. Um, but I still don't see too many organizations that have that kind of reach or perspective for what the future is going to be like short term mm -hmm. and, and, and long term. So I don't know what will happen. I, 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 the, there's always the hard news headlines and, and that's usually dominated by the celebrities or the heads of state uh, that are there. Yeah. But I suggest the themes that come out of it will actually be important and will be mm -hmm. relevant to, uh, to the way business is done and the way governments are run and the way uh, society works. So mm -hmm. that's my, I'm still a, so as so you gather, a, I'm, a, I'm still a World Economic Forum fan. It's a classic PR problem, <laughs> yeah, in a way. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. The, uh, the perception has maybe not caught up with reality and the perception is dominated by, you know, the, as you described, the celebrities. And, and yeah, it is their challenge. I mean, they, it's an organization that works throughout the year, but mm. its reputation is defined in, in a one week at the, at, at the beginning mm. um, and often um, in, a, in a neutral to negative way. So it's, mm. it's hard to kind of maintain a, a, a positive uh, uh, image or, or perception. Um, but if you, if you dig in and you understand how the organization works and, and how it advances collaboration between different sectors of society, you do see that more often, especially over a decade-long curve, more often they're right than, than wrong mm -hmm. in terms of where, where things are, are headed. So, mm -hmm. uh, so I wouldn't give up on the, on the event or the, or the organization itself. And, mm -hmm. um, and I'm kind of envious that you're going to get to go and hear these things firsthand. So. Well, the, the good news is, is President Trump hasn't given up on Davos either. Apparently not. Uh, yeah, I was I was very surprised to hear that he was uh, participating. It seems like the uh, the opposite of his uh, his campaign persona, uh, at least. But true, right? It's it's. The <laughs> you know. Um, so, on that on that idea of themes and trends that that define the ad, I don't think the World Economic Forum has actually come out yet with the sort of headline themes for Davos, but. What do you think are the things that you're thinking about uh, in terms of uh, themes that will affect public relations this year? So whether it's artificial intelligence, something like blockchain, or you know, the, the ubiquity of, of Alexa devices. Yeah. What's on your mind? Uh, I think all of those are, are kind of possible influencing uh, trends. I, I find usually um, uh, tech expresses itself more slowly than we, mm. than we actually think. Um, and by slowly, I mean it, it takes three or four years for some of these things to work their way into day-to-day -day practice. And it's fun to talk about it now and, and put them into our annual you know, forecast of 2018 trends. And I guarantee every 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 organization, every agency's forecast includes mm -hmm. cryptocurrency or oh, artificial yeah. intelligence or yep. augmented reality. Mm -hmm. uh, and there will be cases that, that can be shown that, that reflect how that's being built into our, our work. 
it still won't be the, none of those things will be the lion's share of anything we do this mm -hmm. year or maybe even next year. But you will start to see them uh, folded in. I do think there are a few things that will uh, have more of an impact more quickly, and, and you mentioned one. I, I think um, voice activation technology, I think, um, will rapidly insert itself into our thinking and, and planning, and you'll probably need a uh, uh, some concept of that for um, for proposals, you know, in terms of how will you deal with the way you talk about uh, certain brands, how will you keep that consumer interaction in, in part of your, your thinking. Um, I think uh, live video, which has um, definitely kind of gotten a boost with Facebook's recent um, reconsideration of how it's going to deal with, with publishers. I think it's partly for them to push live video, their own live video uh, prospect for it. And I think that, that brands and organizations will start making uh, better use of, of that. I, mm -hmm. I think you will see that, and, and probably in your own awards programs, you'll start seeing some mm -hmm. campaigns that center on, on those two technologies. Um, Bitcoin, or you know, other than as, a, as an investment, good or bad uh, prospect, I, I've been trying to figure out where uh, blockchain technology could be applied to some of the other um, challenges that we're, we're facing beyond PR, but you know, in society. And, and definitely the veracity of news and reporting um, mm. has been um, drawn into question, rightly or, or wrongly, partly by the Brexit campaign, partly by the, the Trump campaign, and then it seems like anything that comes up now is uh, subject to a, a charge of fake news. Mm. And, and I have to think that there is some sort of blockchain solution, at least in uh, terms of how uh, stories are generated and, and, and reported that could be uh, put at play. Hmm. There is a, a platform called Steam um, mm -hmm. that I've just, I don't know if you're familiar with it, I just started playing around with it, but um, you know, it's, it's a community of contributors that generate Steam, uh, kind of units of, of, of credit based on um, the, the credibility of their, of their, their content. And um, it seems to be an early uh, stages of, of its development. I'm still trying to figure out how to make it work, both for my own interest and, and, and for, for clients. Um, but it's it's a community, truly community policed uh, content and, and journalistic uh, approach to, to uh, developing hmm. new stories or, or ideas. So yeah. I don't know that everything's going to go to a Steam type platform, but it's just interesting to me that people outside the main publishing community are seeing a market for validated news. Mm -hmm. and, and it almost kind of goes back to what we were talking about before about where does media relations fall mm -hmm. in the... Uh, in, in the um, people are, are desperate, I think, or at least interested in news that they can trust and, and believe. Um, and sure, there's peer review and recommendations for your friend and crowdsourcing, and, and those are all part of the mix of services for us. Um, but it's, it's, I think what we've seen is it's, it's too early to count out um, publishers, and especially social media platforms and publishers, as a, as a huge source of, uh, of influence and, and credibility. And, yeah, um, that's true. Although it seems clear that they are on the back foot. Publishers. So, well, the, the big social media platforms. Yeah, there will be a, there'll be, there is, you've seen it, especially mm. in Europe, um, governments wanting um, you know, more direct control of the, of the platforms for what they publish and that can be whether it's fake news or bot generated news or mm. you know, obvious propaganda uh, or, or hate speech you know and I, I think that uh, all of that further undermines the trust that, that consumers have and what they're seeing on, on screen 
but it doesn't diminish their appetite for information that they can believe mm -hmm. and, and act on. Um, and I think that's both a challenge and opportunity for the, for the PR community to, mm -hmm. to recognize that um, just because the ways people have engaged with brands or, or companies has changed doesn't mean that they don't want to engage in some, or understand, you know, uh, uh, in some meaningful way, brands or, or, or companies. And I think agencies that understand that and help companies solve that will, will be more successful than those that don't. Mm -hmm. I saw that uh, they, there was a story about they tried to write a movie using an algorithm, using the, the yeah, and it, go well at all. Does this does this make you relax? Does, do you feel a bit better now that the robots are not going to not going to uh, replace PR people well, anytime soon? I don't know if the robots soon. are going to replace PR people, but I think they will. I, I think there will be algorithms and software that increasingly does things that we've done mm. in the past. Whether it's a you know a media report or a summary of a of a, Media content related to a, a campaign or project. I think you're, there are already services that are doing that. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I think that there will be um, a, more uh, software solutions for, for for what we do. But I don't think that's that's a bad thing. I, mm -hmm. I think it, it should push us up the the hierarchy in some ways, and, and again force us to be um, focus on expertise and less on on efficiency. Yeah. You know. Um, my earlier description is probably a little bit convoluted, but, but agencies have thrived on, on efficiency, you mm -hmm. know, on, on doing uh, mid-level to low-level work more efficiently than clients can do it on their own. That, that's been the agency model, in, 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 not just in PR, in, in almost anything. Mm -hmm. So until we can put that aside and really focus on expertise, we're going to be stuck wishing for a seat at the table, wishing we were, we were being taken as seriously as management consultants or, or lawyers and, and the truth is we don't have that level in general we haven't acquired that level of expertise so I'm hoping that by surrendering some parts of the service proposition to, to automation um, we'll, we'll be forced to take the, the higher end of the, of the, of the, of the service opportunity um, a lot more seriously and, and mm -hmm. put our efforts in, in giving that kind of service rather than the efficiency based service. Well said. And uh, fighting words yeah, we'll see. for 2018 and beyond. David, thank you so much for, yeah, um, for flying pleasure. all this way just to take just part this, in yes. the, just to take part <laughs> in the podcast. While you're here, I would suggest you you meet with your agencies and maybe talk. To I some, definitely will talk to some acquisition <laughs> prospects. You never know. Um, but yes, thank you so much. It's great to have you in the Echo Chamber, as always, and we'll have you back soon. I'm sure. Thank you all. Um, for listening, you can get us on iTunes, on all podcast platforms. Please do rate and review us, and we'll be back next week. Thank you. You've been listening to The Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by March Communications, connecting innovation and people. <laughs>